0: The Old Testament lesson is found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, found on page 189 of the Church Bible. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him for this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horab on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. Here ends the Old Testament lesson. The epistle is found in 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through 13, found on page 1133. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, by eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, we are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what a sacrifice to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Here ends the epistle, and in respect to the gospel, please rise. Gospel is found in Mark chapter one, verses 21 through 28, found on page 990. Jesus drives out an impure spirit. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of the Galilee. Here ends the Gospel.
1: Here are some words that fall into the category of Things you love to say, but hate to hear. I was right. You see, I told you so. Now tonight, about 8 o'clock, there are going to be a lot of people who are saying, We won! (laughs) And probably just as many people, football fans, who have a different allegiance, who will have to listen to them. You probably don't have to think too far back yourself to uh, think of an argument or a wager or some activity. Maybe it was just simply a a game of cards that you wanted to win and be proven right. There is this satisfaction, you see, almost a vindication that comes from being right and that, for the moment at least, makes everything else unimportant. It's true, not just in politics. I mean, we all know the feeling, don't we? I might have lost my cool, looked like a fool, angered my friends, started to fight, but at least I was right. Being right, winning the argument, that kind of goes along with standing up for truth and justice, right? It's the American way. But you know, too, that there's something about people who always think they're right that has a way of turning other people off. We husbands know all about that, right? You always have to ask when there's an argument at home, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? (laughs) Happy wife, happy life, right? Winning the battle doesn't always cause us to win the war. Well, St. Paul recognized that as he was writing to the Christians in Corinth. Being right, in other words, knowing the right thing and insisting on it, was causing a real problem there. One of the many problems that that congregation had. But those who were in the right there, by their rightness, were causing others to sin. And that, Paul was telling them, and, and to us today, makes right become wrong. The issue at stake there in the Corinthian church had to do with what we call Christian liberty. Knowing that, in Christ, we have the freedom to choose and to enjoy those things in life that God has created and that he does not forbid. Specifically, in their case, could Christians eat meat that had been butchered in in pagan worship rites? and then some of which was sacrificed to idols, but the remainder was eaten at public banquets or or sold in local meat markets. Now, some of the Christians were repulsed because the meat was from animals that had been offered to idols. But others were saying, well, who cares? We know all meat comes from God. We know there are no other gods in reality. That makes this meat no different than, than any other meat not offered to idols. So, eat up. Enjoy. Standing on the, the rightness of their Christian freedom, standing on the truth, these Christians were definedly eating this meat, even with unbelievers at you know, neighborhood barbecues or, or other social gatherings. And consequently, the others who thought it was wrong were either bitterly offended, which itself is is a sin, or they would perhaps give in and eat the meat themselves, but all the while feeling guilty for violating what their conscience was telling them. That also is sin. To eat or not to eat? That was the question. Who was right? The church had appealed to Paul's apostolic authority. And you can be sure there was a lot of pride, maybe even a few wagered uh, shekels on the line. Well, today's epistle, which is really the entire eighth chapter of 1 Corinthians, is Paul's response. He begins by saying, knowledge is a good thing. We know that we all possess knowledge, he writes. In other words, knowing our freedom in Christ to enjoy his gifts is a marvelous result of our salvation. Eating meat offered to idols is technically okay. Those who know it and who enjoy it, they are the ones who are right. Now, let it be said here that The Christian faith is not a religion of rigid self-denial and abstinence for its own sake. I mean, over the centuries many have tried to make it that, to be a monk living in a monastery, or to choose the single life, even though you don't have the gift of celibacy, something we talked about last Sunday you might remember, or to make fasting a requirement, or to forbid any form of eating or drinking, dancing, card playing. It's been implied that that those who refrain from those things are the true Christians, or at least better Christians, and that this is more honorable and worthy lifestyle by which God is pleased. St. Paul would call that ignorance, to put it mildly. In fact, he as much as said that to the Galatian churches who were insisting that the Jewish right of circumcision, which is a matter of utmost freedom, they were saying it was necessary if you wanted to get right with God. See, there are times when, when knowledge is not only good, but when it must be set forth strongly to combat error. Knowledge of Moral right and wrong, for example, knowledge of salvation, knowledge of, of what to believe and how to live out God's will, is based on the word of God. When the truth of God's word is threatened by error, it's necessary to set forth what's right. Faith and, and conscience must be instructed by the word of God. That's why Christians should always be in God's word. although Paul doesn't come down hard on those who would not eat the meat, I mean, he never does tell them to eat it, he does, in a way, say to them, let the word of God instruct your consciences. That alone is what will free them up. I mean, why be wrong? Why be ignorant? Why be a loser? Christians should experience and enjoy their freedom. They shouldn't feel guilty about Ordering a t-bone and a glass of, uh, of uh, Cabernet Paul has another lesson though here in this eighth chapter of first Corinthians which he spends much more time on Knowledge about God's word the truth of God's word And in this case being right about Christian liberty well, That's good But, he writes, knowledge puffs up. It makes even Christians arrogant, gives them a big head. And that, Paul sensed, was the greater force of disruption over this whole meat-eating question. At times, knowledge can be detrimental, being right can become wrong. There is a higher good, you see, a loftier goal for Christians than being right. In all of our dealings and and disagreements with one another, there must be a concern for one another. That's why Paul says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. How much do we love our brothers and sisters in the faith? Enough from wanting to keep them from sinning? Enough to refrain from doing something which my conscience, informed by a knowledge of God's word, tells me that I have the right and the freedom to do? Am I willing to sacrifice my wants, my rights, For the needs of others? By insisting on their God-given rights, the Corinthian meat-eaters were snubbing the spiritual needs of their their weaker brothers, those less-informed Christians who who would then take offense, causing them to sin. Being right then became wrong, not just for the weak brother, but also for the one who has knowledge but doesn't have love. And those who sin against their brothers in this way, by wounding their weak conscience, sin no less against Christ himself. Because remember, Jesus is the one who said, if you do it to the least of these my brothers, you're doing it to me. The issue today may no longer be meat offered to idols. in fact, it probably isn't. But it might be, as it is for some, Killing animals, and eating any kind of meat for conscience sake. Drinking alcoholic beverages, playing cards. Most often it has something to do with things that that aren't even perceived as as moral issues, where there is a, a right and a wrong. We just set up our own traditions, our own preferences, Attach to them a standard of rightness, and then insist on them being the only right way. Now, in the church, it often has to do with things, well, things like pledging—you know, promising a set amount of future offering. Those that do get upset with those who don't, and those who don't get upset when those who do encourage them to try it. Same thing could be said, I suppose, of of uh, imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday which, by the way, starts here in a, in a couple of weeks, in the beginning of Lent. It might have to do with fasting, or with, with worship service times, or how communion is distributed, worship styles, choice of songs, and, and how they're played. As Christians, we don't always have agreement. And even Christians can insist on their rights on rightness. My way or no way. Five chapters later. In this same letter. St. Paul shows us a more excellent way to deal with our brothers and sisters. You know what the entire 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's about love. And one of the points Paul makes there is that love does not seek its own or as another translation puts it it does not insist on its own way love doesn't gloat in being right winning arguments instead its primary concern is the well-being of others to the galatians Paul writes, You were called to freedom, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And again, later to the Corinthians, Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. You know, if we still want to be contentious about this whole thing of claiming our rights as free Christians, insisting on our own way, Then, finally, I think it would be good for us to take a look at Christ Jesus. As God, it was his right, his duty almost, to stay in heaven. He was right. We, in our sin, we were wrong. By rights, we should have died in hell, and and he should have stayed in the comfort of heaven. But love is never happy, unless it's looking out for others. Because, you see, love embraces grace, not rightness. And grace is always seeking to help those who are wrong. Jesus sacrificed his divine rights in order to become a man, in order to suffer, and to die in our place, taking our place there on the cross. The great exchange. He who was rich became poor for our sake so that by his poverty we might become rich. Justice would have said that's the wrong thing to do. Those people deserve it. Stand up for your rights, Jesus. Don't be a loser. Get off that cross. Save yourself. Do it for the principle of the thing. Love does not seek its own. Thank God that his perfect love sought us out and did the wrong thing in saving us. You know, For us Christians, there is a constant tension throughout life in the exercise of our freedom. A tension between the enjoyment of the world and and self-denial of the world. St. Paul teaches us today two lessons about that tension. First one is, knowledge is good. Know what the truth of God's word says. Have informed consciences as you relate to others, especially in these matters of Christian freedom. Free up your consciences. Get on with life. There are more important things in the kingdom than, than meat offered to idols. Secondly, he would teach us that, that knowledge, of truth, you must never get in the way of love. Brotherly love was a trademark of the early church. That's how it grew. Do we have that same love today? There's much that divides us, more than just politics and religion. To love those who are weak and disagreeable and even wrong might mean that we humble ourselves and and give up the need to be right in matters of Christian freedom. It might mean that the only meat we eat is crow. Love means that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we will do it all to the glory of God. And to that end, may the love with which Christ loved us cause us to do likewise and to know real happiness and freedom. Amen.